Hello, and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly. I'm your host, Jeremy. And I'm your host, Kevin. And we're back again. I still, this feels so unnatural, and I don't know why. I actually do know why. It's because Tyler will always lighten the mood with a joke. Yeah, and I'm not I, that guy. No, you're not that guy at all. I have to compensate, and it puts a lot of pressure on me. And I, a lot of pressure, I mean very little pressure. I just, I'm so used to just saying words, and then the podcast happens. Yeah, I'm more of a dry humor guy, so I, I feel like that wouldn't be a great podcast opening. Oh, it's absolutely not. I like learned that immediately within 12 seconds of podcasting with you. I learned I had to change my approach, but I haven't figured out what to yet. Yep. So it's a learning experience for all of us. Yeah. Yay. So we read Shonen Jump number 46 this week. I don't know why it's number 46 still, but it is. Yeah. It seems way too low. Unless they like start publishing in December and change it every year. Maybe. That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, that does make sense. Because, like, I don't think, depending on where you're looking for it, it's got a different number associated with it. But, like, on the cover of the magazine, it says number 46. And that's also what it says on Comixology. Yeah. You go to buy it there. Which I recommend you do. It's only 99 cents for only eight manga stories this week. Yeah. Because it's a short magazine, which, hey, maybe this will be a short podcast, but yeah. probably not. I still recommend you get a subscription because I really like subscriptions now, and it's only 25 bucks a year. And you get some snazzy Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Yep. I've got them sitting on a piano. Snazzy. Yep. Speaking of Yu-Gi-Oh, there's actually the cover for this one is a We Never Learn cover, which is confusing to me because there's a brand new story in this one or a brand new manga. How do you say that? It's a brand new series. There we go. Yeah. Well, so I was confused. Was this the Jumpstart program or was this a brand new... This is a brand new one by Kazuki Takahashi, the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh! Yes, I did know that. Okay. I don't think it's a Jumpstart. I think it's just a limited series because it's for the 50th anniversary of Shonen Jump. Okay. Which they're in right now, and it's a story about manga, but it's not the cover story. The cover story is We Never Learn, and you want to talk about the cover? It's just a cute cover with all the girls on it, right? Yeah. It's pretty basic. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's good art. I liked it, but it wasn't something to write home for. Yeah, none of the Shonen Jump covers have really struck me so far of the ones we've read for this podcast. None of them are bad either. Because I'm not buying it like off of a shelf. No one is. This is not available in America. Yeah, so maybe it's a, a Japanese thing that we're just not quite getting the taste right or they're trying to market to people over there. My understanding, I'm talking out of my butt here, but my understanding is a lot of that is done by delivery. Like you just have a Shonen Jump subscription and it just shows up to your house. Yeah. I mean, comic book covers, even in American comics, are pretty perfunctory right now. Yeah. They're basically just like an excuse to have some good art in the front. Yeah, because, I mean, most of it is nowadays, like you said, people are buying stuff by subscription. You don't have all of the comics, you know, listed on a wall. And you're like, ooh, that cover looks cool. I'm going to check that out. Even when you do, it usually is like part four or five. And you're like, well, I guess I'll wait two months for Batman to start a new story. Yep. So we start with We Never Learn, since it is the title series. Chapter 83, an excess joke makes a genius dance. And I'm getting tired of the We Never Learn titles now that I have to say them out loud every week. Yeah, I kind of just ignore them. Yeah, me too, except for we have to have a start for this. This week, I took extensive notes on character names and no notes on plot. And this is the longest I've got between reading and recording. So we'll see how it goes. This one mainly features Urika, who is the athlete who wants to learn English so that she can, I guess, study overseas. 
Is that new information or? No, she was offered very recently because she's a big swimming champion. She had also been improving her grades in English. So she was offered a chance to study overseas. But that's not the reason she's learning English. It's just like something she wants to do. The math girl wants to learn language and the language girl wants to learn math, essentially, or science. Araka wanted to learn English. And so that's what she's been studying. And it just so happens that the school that she's applying to has a great English program as well as, you know, they speak in English over there. So, yes. So I think I completely misunderstood this chapter then from the context. And like, even once I was done with it, I was like, okay, is that's what's going on? I thought the implication was she wanted to go to that school because she knows someone in America. But like the twist is that she actually is talking about Yu-Gi-Oh and wanting to start a long distance relationship with him that's while what, she's in America. Yeah, that's what she is talking about. So the school is super prestigious. So it's kind of this big award of like, I, I got this cool scholarship. This is a huge opportunity for me. But. I don't want to leave Yu-Gi-Oh behind, so that's why she's going on and about, oh yeah, I've got this friend that's recently won an offer to go to this school overseas, and the English girl, because I'm, I'm blanking on names. because yes. I have the notes. Yes, so I'm blanking on names, but Jeremy's got me. She's like, this is clearly you. Like, at first, the joke of, oh yeah, I've got a friend going through this scenario worked, but now that it's so specific, she's like, I, I clearly know it's you. Yeah, so basically most of it is Fumino just be like, no, clearly you're talking about yourself. And then Yu-Gi-Oh walks in on them and she hides under the table. And it's basically just Fumio and Erika having a text conversation with each other while Fumino is talking to Yu-Gi-Oh. Yep, and she's trying to get them to confess her feelings. Yes. So she's talking to Yu-Gi-Oh and trying to get him to say that he's got feelings for her as well, because she feels that he does. There's a lot of weird love triangles going on in this show. Hey, one of my notes here is I realize this manga is just Archie, with more school and more girls. Yeah, I mean... Uh, And I guess Archie is confident in himself and is dating two girls instead of zero girls, but... Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh is not confident in himself, but... It's Japanese Archie. It's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, it does end on a pretty good joke where is Fumino not into Yu-Gi-Oh or is she just trying to be a good friend here? She kind of is, but she's trying to be a good friend because she thinks Araka's into him. So she's and she thinks he's into her. So this is probably the most sort of plot heavy chapter of this I've read so far. Yeah, I definitely get the feeling that there are these chapters pretty regularly, but most of the ones I've read have been pretty one off. Yeah. But in this one, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh asks Fumino if Erika likes someone, and she says yes, basically. But then she runs back and tells Yu-Gi-Oh that he should like try to figure out why Erika is lying, because she is. And Yu-Gi-Oh is just confused. And the chapter ends on a very good joke of, think of it as a word problem for your study of the female psyche. And Yu-Gi-Oh is just confused. Yeah, because she's trying to get him to realize that uh, Erika uh, likes, him. Uh, likes the guy, him. The guy Erika likes is him. Yes. But- she's like, yes, he ha- she has a crush. But also, no, she doesn't have a crush. Figure it out, <laughs> which is great. Because she doesn't want to just outright say it because it defeats the whole purpose. I, I liked that. The hiding of the table bit was pretty funny. Yeah, it's a pretty standard sitcom joke, but it definitely works. Yeah. The cute panties joke that Araka makes and then the when she like makes a noise during the conversation and Yugi is going to try and look under the table. She's like, I'm wearing a skirt. How dare you? Yeah. It's pretty standard stuff, but it works. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about 
You never learned? This chapter specifically? No, I mean, it was it was cute. Like you said, it's a bit more plot-heavy. There is some some stuff going on, but this manga has been a lot more fluffy. Yes. Than, you know... Anything else in the Yeah, in the which, is, which is fine. That's exactly, you know, what you're reading it for. Or at least that's what I'm reading it for. Yeah, I really like it, like I've said a number of times. Although, I feel like I've sort of settled out the first chapter I read I really, really liked. The second one I didn't like as much, and this one is very medium to me. Yep. I definitely enjoyed it, but I think I've adjusted to the series. Mm-hmm. So next we have the comic, which is the new series by Kazuki Takahashi, who again created Yu-Gi-Oh! Yep. So you want to talk about the premise of this, Kevin? It's not even the premise of it. It starts out with this like shadowy page where it says, in some prisons, to re-ingratiate people in society. They have them draw manga backgrounds before their release. Well, so, first off, that first page is super confusing, because it leads with, this is a work of fiction. Then immediately under that is like, this is fact. So you're like, wait, wait. <laughs> is this is, real is, fact, or is this fiction fact? Yeah, is, is the yeah, premise, yeah. or? <laughs> yeah, so I eventually got got what was going on, but it was just kind of confusing at first of, all right, so this is like going into War of the Worlds, this is a radio program, and then the first line of the radio program is, all of this is real. You're like, wait, so wh- which line am I supposed to believe? So it's not really the premise of the book. Like I said, we get no. to something much more specific. But you know what my immediate thought was, and this might sound crazy? What? This is like the purge. Like, it's this weird, like, social fiction, like, political fiction rather than science fiction. Right. Yeah, adds yeah. This real idea. That's again not actually what the premise of the book is. That's the first thing it hits you with, and it makes it seem like it's gonna be about this weird world where prisoners are forced to create shonen jump manga. Yeah. But the the actual premise where it's like just something that they do to help reintegrate them into society, like that that actually happens in real life prisons. You know, they make certain things, they have them like do license plates and uh that kind of stuff where it's kind of semi menial labor. That they're like, hey, here's something that you can do to give you a skill to take into the real world after reintegration. Yes. So the actual premise is the main character is a guy named Sakamaki. Sakamaki? Sakamaki. I'm going to go with Sakamaki. Sure. Uh, I did not write down his first name because I'm bad at this notes thing. He has just had his first chapter published in Shoujo Jump. Yep. Which is obviously the Shoujo counterpart to Shonen Jump. Never mind that Shoujo Beat was a real magazine that Shonen Jump published for four years. Yeah, this is a work of fiction, even though yes. all of this is fact. So anyway, he's pretty good at manga, but he struggles with drawing backgrounds. But his editor has hired a background guy, and I didn't write his editor's name down. I did write down this quote, though, which is, as a famous editor, you can trust everyone I hire is great. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, no. I got the feeling that it wasn't that he was bad at backgrounds. It's that since he's the only one drawing he could publish way faster if he had somebody working on the backgrounds. Like, all right, here's my character sketch. Bam, here's the background. It's not something I have to do myself. So that was the that was the feeling I got, that it was kind of like, uh, oh, man, this makes it so much easier now that I have someone helping me out as opposed to having to do everything myself. And most major manga artists in Shonen Jump have assistants to do various things. Yeah, I mean, even in animation that happens, you have, like, the major artists do the keyframes, and then... You have people who do the, I don't know if they're fill frames. I'm blanking on the I don't the know term. what the term is. I think they're just frames. Yeah. I just do know, you know, it's like they have the main guy do the key frames and then I have someone fill in the other frames because it just makes it go way faster. Depending on how much money you spend, you'll have more key frames and 
yes, hired and, talent doing the other frames. Yeah. The guy has gotten his backgrounds hired out, and he's made his first publish into the shoujo jump. Yes, he's published the first chapter, and his sister calls him and congratulates him. He's like, hey, you have to become a famous manga artist like Seiya Himikawa so you can spoil me and treat me to trips abroad. Yes. And Seiya Himikawa is the publisher of the top story in Shoujo Jump, which is called Prince, I think? Or is the main character Prince? I didn't write this down. I don't remember. I think it's Prince. Like, I think that's the name of it. I think it's both, where it's the main character's name is the title. Like, you know, that Naruto. Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, in addition to being a famous manga author, Seiya Himikawa also streams him drawing the manga. Yeah, well, he's a VTuber. Yes, um, very subtle. Yes, very subtle. But it's not just him. Like, he'll do streams of drawing. Like, I, people do this in real life, so that yes. makes sense. But yeah, he does, like, he's a big internet personality on top of being the top shoujo creator. Let's talk about the art for a minute, because for the most part, it's very, very cartoony. It doesn't really look anything like Yu-Gi-Oh! It looks, saying like Peanuts, like, makes the art sound a lot worse than it actually is. But a lot of the faces in particular remind me of that Charles Schultz style. Yeah, it's like if Charles Schultz was Japanese, kind of, like, I can understand that. But whenever we see the manga the artists draw, it looks like straight-up manga, like yep. romance manga. And also, Seiya Hiwakawa looks like a show, like a shonen pretty boy. Yes. Anyway, his sister submits a question to the stream asking him to look at... Oh, man, I didn't write the name of Sakumaki's manga down. Is it? It's something Pendulum, right? Pendulums yep. of Love? It's some really yeah. sappy name like that. It's really some really sappy name like that. And so the shoujo guy takes a look at it on the stream and he's like, wow, that line is so cheesy. They had been making this joke like every time they bring it up, he had this really cheesy line in the first chapter and everyone's like, ah, yeah, that was great. Or that liked it or, you know, that doesn't like it or like, man, that's so cheesy or that's so lame. Yeah. And he was right. Only ranked 16th most popular in the popularity poll for his story yep. and this guy's always number one and so he's making fun of it and he's like oh, i bet this will be canceled very quickly but then he sees the last page and he sees this like diagram in the background and he gets that like manga shock panel like he's just been attacked by it yeah it's like oh sorry i gotta cancel the stream right away yeah and he does and he's literally gone and it's like what uh so then he basically calls the dude he's like hey we need to have this manga artist followed yep so anyway, Sakamaki runs into a detective while washing his laundry, and the guy's like, hey, have you ever heard of the Halloween murder? And he's like, um, what? no. Yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, no, there was this weird symbol there. Oh, well, don't worry about it. So he starts doing research on it, and he finds out it was this murder that took place on Halloween, yep. and there was this drawing like found at the scene, that the symbol in the background of his manga. Yep. He is pursued by a motorcyclist, and I don't remember how that went down right now i just wrote the i think it's just showing him being followed i just wrote the very good joke manga on motorcycles so anyway he figures out that the guy who was convicted for the crime is the guy drawing his manga backgrounds and he demands to meet with him and he meets with him in prison and they've of course got the like phone between them and the wall between them and he discovers the guy is mute yeah i don't think specifically they have a phone i think they're just they're in like a it's usually separate... those have a phone. Usually. Yeah, but I think this one it was like still a separated room, but there was like a speaker box in the middle so that they could talk to one another. 
And anyway, Sakamaki has determined, because as he says, as a shoujo manga author, he knows a lot about flowers. Yeah, and so based on the flowers the guy drew, he's saying he's innocent, and after meeting him, he believes him. Yep. It's this, like, you know, very pretentious thing about how since he's mute, he has to communicate with his art. And juxtaposed against this, like, very tense mystery of Sakamaki being like, ah, I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna prove you were innocent. Yep. And obviously, uh, Manga Dick, who's the best at manga, has something to do with it. Yes, obviously. So yeah, I thought it was a pretty interesting chapter. I really liked it. I am very interested to see where this goes, especially if it goes somewhere weird. But even if it doesn't, I'm pretty excited just by like the mystery of it. Yeah. You know, how is he going to prove that this guy's innocent? How is Shoujo Dick involved in this? Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to the next chapter. I hope it's weekly. I don't know. I just know it's a limited series. So it's got a planned conclusion, I assume. Yep. So next we have Hunter Hunter, chapter 384, War. And I wrote down the names of the girls from the last chapter so I know them. And I swear every time I think I'm grasping onto something in Hunter Hunter, it's like, now for something completely different. Ha ha, you slipped. Yeah, because those two girls aren't even in this chapter. They are shown in like the characters you need to know about. None of the characters from the like previously on Hunter Hunter like page that it shows appear in this chapter. Yeah. It's very confusing because there is there's a lot of characters. You know, there's I think like twelve princes, a bunch of their bodyguards, Karapika and his people, the spiders are there. Like it's just it's insanity. There are so many characters that you need to keep track of during this arc. So can you explain the plot of this chapter, Kevin? Who so we have one of the various subplots that's going on is one of the princes is being trained in Nen by okay. his bodyguard. That's the second half of this, right? Yes. And like, I got real confused because I was like, yeah, he's got the weird creatures that the girl is yeah. talking to of like, all right, now he needs to learn Zetsu, which actually is a big deal in Nen's because she wants to kill him, but the beast can sense lies or I think I've read this and I'm not even sure what's going on here. So she's like, you know, I'm not telling a lie. He actually does need to learn how to do Zetsu. It's a very big part of learning how to use Nen. But she's trying to use it so that she can kill him. And she wants to do it tomorrow, which I think is like the the very last panel of the chapter. Yeah. And also there's a mafia gang war that's going to break out unless circumstances are proper. That's the first half of this chapter, right? Yeah, so that's the spiders who are looking for Hisoka. They've, like, shown up to one of the Mafia Dons and been like, you guys are actually running the ship in these lower levels, and we need to find this guy, so we're going to help you out so that you'll give us the ability to do that. Gotcha. Okay, that you made it sound a lot less confusing than it was when I read it. Yeah, well, you know, I have the I have some of the background knowledge, but even then, I was I was a little lost on this chapter. It's... There's a lot going on. There's a lot of stuff to remember. And there's a lot of things that are just like you're supposed to immediately know what's going on, even though sometimes it's not completely obvious. Like, wait, have I have I met that guy before? Y- yes. Yes, I have met that guy before. <laughs> all right. I remember all this stuff now. But if you don't, it's like, so wait, why, why is this guy important? All right. So next we have Food Wars, Chapter 283, Hunters and Prey. Yep. It's, again, a pretty transition-y chapter although it's more setting up what's going to be happening rather than before we've just been like being like oh the blue that's gonna be the next thing now the characters are there and 
we're learning a little bit about it. Yeah, I was honestly surprised that we're immediately into the blue. I was also expecting some like a I don't want to say bit filler of, things. I was but. expecting some training, like because they've done training before all of their previous big competition. So I was expecting a little bit of like preparation or something like that. Not immediately like you've been invited to the blue. Bam! Now you're there. It's taking place at a Japanese castle, and each castle gate is a cooking challenge. Yep. And to win, you have to get to the center of the castle where the like leader of the world government, who is also the top judge, is. No, I think it was. It's not that he's the leader of the world government. He's like the leader of the food association, essentially. Okay, I thought the word government was thrown in there, but if it's the food government, I don't know that much about food wars. I've only read three chapters. Yeah, I I think it's he's the leader of like the food government, essentially, or like you know. All right, so here's the International Cooking Association, and he's the head of that. Gotcha. So anyway, the Chef Noirs appear, as they said they would. The shading on them is fantastic, because yeah. I really like the art in Food Wars. And some of the character designs are amazing. There's this like bunny lady who looks like the killer from Dead by Daylight. Yeah. There's this like guy in an astronaut suit. Yeah. Those are the two that really stuck out to me, but it's a splash page of all of them coming in. Yeah, there's... All of the main characters look really cool in this show, and it's I really like how they, you know, diversify. All right, so these are all chefs, but they're not, they don't all look, you know, like, all right, look, it's generic guy in chef outfit. They've got all their unique styles, and it, it looks really cool. So, of course, Saiba walks in, and Soma goes up to him and tries to, like, say, like, ah, this is the perfect spot for our rematch. And he's got, like, Vegeta powering up power level aura coming off of him. Yep which is great, and he's like, oh, nah, I'm way better than you. I was seated ahead based on my abilities. Yep. See you later, punk. Yeah, he's like, I'm already at the third gate. Hopefully you breeze through this, otherwise you're not going to make it. Yep. Which is like some Seto Kaiba-level dickery. It's pretty good. Yes. Uh, but that's pretty much all that happens in that chapter. It's pretty brief and just setting up, and I'm very excited to see where it goes, but not a lot happened. Yeah, not, not a whole lot in this one. Like you said, it was a lot of setup, and... I'm assuming we're going to jump right into the competition, which is going to be fun. Might even montage through it, depending on how they want to do it. But I imagine there will be some challenges or maybe like a noir dude at each gate. He has to beat. I don't really know how Food Wars works structurally, but I'm assuming it's just a shonen battle anime. Yeah, essentially. Also, a couple of the other council members have been given invitations to the blue. So we have uh, Todoroki. Yeah, I think that's her name. Who else is there? Arena is there, but we don't see her, so I assume she also got seated. Possibly. No, she she's definitely yeah, she got seated if she She said she was invited. gonna be there because that's like the whole stakes of this yeah. arc. And I yeah, I don't know Soma's friends' names, so I don't yeah. think they've been said since I started reading it. Probably not because they've been said a lot beforehand. But yeah, a couple of Soma's friends are there, so clearly they're gonna be working their way through the challenges too. Yeah. All right, so next we have Dr. Stone, Z equals 78, that which destroys or saves. And most of my notes are just character names. So. Yeah, this was a kind of weird yeah, chapter. Yeah, it's a sudden shift in direction. I feel like either this has to be winding down or... I've gotten the sense since we started Dr. Stone that it was like on nearing the end. Yeah. But that could just be a story arc thing. Like, you could start a new story... I just this. you could I just don't know what it would be yeah I don't either but I've not read the first 75 chapters so yeah 
Either way, so this one is really just about Tsukasa, essentially. And a ton happens plot wise, though. Yeah. Like, uh, Senku now has his dynamite paper airplanes that he's using and basically forces a stalemate in the fight. Yep. Because he can't really use them without hitting his guys, but they're such a threat that the. Tsukasa can't do anything about it. Also, to note, the archer guy puts dynamite on one of his arrows because they're like, Oh, the odds of you hitting with those paper airplanes are going to be really slim. So he's like, well, how about a dynamite arrow? Like, you know, I can hit whatever I want now. So Sukasa's like smart enough to be like, yeah, thank you. You must have wanted a stalemate if yep. you created this situation. And thank you's like, hey, we have miracle fluid and stuff. We can save your sister. Yeah, because he deduced that there was a reason that Sukasa had been trying to earn money back in the past, I guess, at this point. So clarify something for me, because this is how I thought it worked, but I wasn't sure. This is Apocalypse where everyone got turned to stone, right? Yes. And then they got unturned to stone. There aren't, like, people who, like, have continued to live after that Apocalypse. Yeah. It's so, not, like, a post-Apocalypse in that, like, he wakes up and it's a different world. You no, know, yeah. It's a post-Apocalypse in that nobody was alive for however long. Yeah. So what happened was the Miracle Fluid, he figured that out basically through accident of like he was accidentally awakened through the miracle fluid he eventually figured out what it was like it was just some random chance that people had been resurrected and what actually happened is his dad and a couple other astronauts were in space when the apocalypse happened they came back down to earth and found everybody turned to stone but couldn't do anything about it so the villagers that he has found are descendants of the the space station crew. So they've been, like, hanging around since the apocalypse. Right. So did he free Tsukasa and then yeah, he started had, all the problems? Or yeah. I guess resurrect? Yeah, he he freed Tsukasa because they're, like, they're just encased in stone. They're not actually all turned to stone. Okay. It's like a coating. It actually, it's why they have all those cracks on their skin. It's, like, from cracks in the stone. Gotcha. But yeah, so he revived Sukasa, and then Sukasa decided, oh, since the world has been essentially reset, I can create my own paradise. And that's where the, the conflict between the two of them started. Gotcha. Because Senku wanted to save everybody. He's like, I figured out the miracle fluid. Now we can go around saving everybody. Right. So Sukasa's sister is named Mirai, which I remember because I used to call him Mirai Trunks, because that meant future in Japanese. Yep. And her name is just Future. And Sukasa's like, ah, oh, she should be around here. And they're like, let's mine with dynamite. And someone else is like, let's not. Not. Yeah. So the chapter basically ends with them finding her turned to stone. Yeah. And so the whole deal with uh, her was she was sick, like cancer, something like that. She had a sickness that they couldn't cure. And so Sukasa did a bunch of like boxing matches and all this other stuff to earn money to help try and save her. So he was like trying to save up money for a cure, keep paying our hospital bills, that kind of thing. And Senku notices, well, when we do the revival process, there's actually a healing effect that goes through it. So maybe just you, uh, applying the fluid will, yeah, will cure, her. will cure her. And so that's why Sukasa is working with him. And then there's the joke about the, Oh, well let's mine with dynamite. Cause they got to go to the hospital where she is, but it's been, thousands of years since that so it's you know buried anyway there's a big discussion about whether or not the creator of dynamite made it for mining or war but senku doesn't care and again it's just stating its themes and it's not very subtle yeah 
Anything else you want to say about Dr. Stone? It was weird. I actually liked it. I ranked it rather high. I ranked it kind of low just because it was that... It is a weird sudden turn. It was a very drastic shift of like, I felt like the story is winding down. All right, so they set up Sukasa to be the antagonist, and now he's kind of been pacified, so I was expecting that to happen. I wasn't expecting in one chapter him to go, all right, I'm the antagonist too. Now we're teaming up to go do something. I mean, save his sister, but I, I, I just wasn't expecting that. So it's not that it was bad like i it I always, is sudden i'll give it yes. that the pacing seems like when you're reading this in a volume it's gonna be really weird yeah but like i've said multiple times i usually like almost every chapter in shonen jump so my ranking systems are like they're so close together that yeah this one might be on the bottom but that doesn't mean i didn't like it so next we have black clover page 177 battlefield dancer uh, this one goes quick it does. But that's because it's all fight scene. It's almost all multiple page splashes. And if yep. you don't know the basics of comics, your main limit is your space and fights take up a lot of space. Yeah, especially big flashy fights like this. So most of this is just Noelle kind of dancing around like she's swimming in air, dodging attacks yep. and closing in to strike. Yeah. I really want to like Black Clover. It's got a lot of the shonen tropes that I love, like her transformation at the end of the last chapter. Even not really knowing the character, I could like feel how it was supposed to work and understand the beats. But I just think the art is not for me. So much of it, I, I thought at first it was like the way he drew fluid, which is hard to do. Yep. But even like the compass magic user's attacks she's dodging just kind of look like arrows drawn on the page to me. And mm-hmm. while the art of her dodging is pretty cool, everything else just kind of looks like noise to I, me. I got you. I don't feel that way at all. I actually really like it. I definitely liked the pages of her dancing through the attacks while her brother remarks. It's like, it was just like Mother. Like I said, I like all the beats. Yeah. It's just such a shame the Black Clover anime is so bad. Because I feel like if I saw this in animation, it would work for me. Yeah. But the art style, I just... Maybe with other characters, I will like it more. Maybe it's just the fluid stuff It's for totally, this particular enemy. It could but be it, that, or it could just be that you don't, like, it. it's just a taste thing where you just, you're not really jiving with the art. It just feels like this should be for me, and it's just, the more I read it, the more I'm like, oh, this is going to be the chapter of Black Clover I get into. Oh, nope, it wasn't. Well, maybe, like you said, maybe it'll be the different characters. So, you know, maybe when we get back to Asta or we go to, like, some of the other captains fighting you'll maybe like that better. Yeah, because I feel like I should like this character a lot. I I want to like her. Yeah. And I even do like the character, I guess. But... Missing out on some of her growth from when we first started to where she is now. But the thing is, kind I, of I can feel it. Like, I yeah. know I didn't read it, but I can figure out what happened. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's too generic or too much like Naruto. But possibly. I feel like I should really like it, and I don't. But you like it a bit more, so is there anything you want to say about it? Like I said, I really liked the panel with her dodging all the compass attacks. I really liked the fact that when she was going to attack and the compass wielder was like, oh, well, I anticipated this, and she was like, nope, I, even though I've been dancing through everything, I'm actually just brute forcing my way through this problem. And so she she literally just brute forces her way through the defense that she sets up rather than like the compass user was expecting an elegant solution, like, oh, you're going to try and like dodge around and it's just not going to work. And she's like, nope, I'm just going to stab you. Again, I feel like that all should work for me. Yeah, it doesn't. And it's just kind of too bad. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Black Clover? 
no, I'm I'm looking forward to the next chapter. I still really like Black Clover. I'm looking forward to getting back to Asta and Yuno and everyone else because I like seeing them. So it's not like, oh, you know, I haven't enjoyed seeing Noel and these other guys fight, but it'd be nice to switch to another fight pretty soon. I I'll, feel like this is wrapping up. I hope so, because this compass user in particular is really boring. And maybe when Noel fights other people, I will even like that more. Possibly. So last but not least, we have The Promised Neverland, Chapter 107, Makes Me Sick, which is my least favorite chapter of this so far, but I did like it. Yeah. So I was wondering last time who we were going to follow point of view wise, which was definitely intentional. But like the first line is Hugo and Lucas being like, yep, just like we said at the end of last chapter, this would be an okay place to die, but we don't want to. And the whole chapter follows them as they're trying to kill the military guys who have been sent after the kids. Yep. And they're very successful at it. So you talked earlier about how all the like enemies in this are drawn hyper-realistically. Yeah. That's also true of Hugo and Lucas, just because they're adults. Like, to a lesser degree than, like, Andrew and the other soldiers, but yeah. compared to the kids, it's really obvious. And I feel like this isn't to the artist's strengths. The art in this chapter isn't bad, per se. It gets has a very splinter cell feel with them sneaking around and shooting guys. Yeah. But it feels like it's not what this artist is really good at. It's not as bad as, like, my complaints about the art of Black Clover or Dr. Stone, but it's just not as exciting as I wish it was. Well, and I feel like they're drawn more hyper-realistic because they're wearing, like, the armor and gadgets, and that's what's drawn Maybe really realistically. Because in some of the some of the earlier scenes with Hugo... Guy with the beard? Yeah, guy yeah. with the beard. He's drawn much more cartoony like the kids. Maybe a bit more detail because he's a bit older, but I think it's because they're both wearing the armor that they look hyper-realistic. So how much of this stuff was a reveal in this chapter? Because we get a lot of Hugo and Lucas's backstory in this, and I'm wondering how much of this is new versus how much of it is fleshing out stuff we already knew. A lot of it is fleshing out stuff we already knew because we kind of had the turning points of both Hugo and Lucas in earlier chapters. So like when their backstories was first revealed. So this is more of a fleshing out of their stuff. Gotcha. Which is why they're helping the kids essentially. Like when we first met them, we didn't know much about them, and though, so we had this big character turn, and that revealed a lot of their, or be, during that big character turn, they revealed a lot of their backstory. Gotcha. So this is just more fleshing out of stuff that happened. Gotcha. So are they from an orphanage the same way the kids are? Yes. Is that, we already knew that? Yeah, we okay. already knew that. They were part of an orphanage group that had escaped just like Gracefield Orphanage Farm thing. All right. So this is basically just the two splinter selling a bunch of soldiers while yep. Andrew tries to stop them. It's not yep. bad at all. And the emotional beats work. It just doesn't seem like it plays to the series strengths, at least what I perceive as them. Yeah, I can see your assessment on that. Anything else you want to say about The Promised Neverland? I really liked this chapter. I definitely think it was cool that, you know, we had the ambiguity at the end of the last chapter of who we were going to be following. And then we were following these guys. And they seem to be winning as opposed to, oh, well, you know, they're almost definitely going to die if it's, they say, this would be a good place to die. And then we start following the <laughs> children. Like, that's almost a guarantee that they were going to not make it. So now I've got a feeling maybe they will make it. It's still not totally decided if they're going to be completely successful, but they've at least helped the children at this point. 
All right, so I skipped My Hero Academia because I was really excited to talk about the comic, and it was the second thing in here. Did you have anything you wanted to say about that before we get to our ranking? It's more contest, so some some cool stuff going on. We're seeing more reveals of Class B, but nothing huge going on, but definitely very fun chapter. All right, so that brings us to our ranking segment. Uh, this is Jump Card. All right, so you want to start, Kevin, or should I? I can go ahead and start. So again, I did the same thing I did last week where I did rank My Hero Academia, but I've just listed it as an asterisk so that we'll have similar numbers going up through all the other comics. Yeah, and it was kind of a short Shonen Jump this week, no One Piece, so there are only eight stories total, and we're only going to be ranking seven of them. Yep, so my number seven was Hunter x Hunter. I do still really like this story, but there's a lot going on and it's getting really confusing. And I even enjoy books or stories that have a lot of hidden details, stuff that like, ah, if you've been following us from the beginning or paying a lot of attention, you'll get more and more of what's going on. But those stories that I like have a general plot that you can follow. And then like the hidden stuff is more like surprises or Easter eggs. So they're, they're not essential to the story. I feel like a lot of the stuff in Hunter x Hunter is essential to the story and I'm just I'm missing some of it or it doesn't hit me at first and I, when I go back that's when I get it. So it was it was my least favorite chapter for that reason. Yeah, Hunter x Hunter is at the bottom of my list as well. I finally thought I was having something to grasp onto with the two girls from last chapter. That was an emotional hook that I could really get into yeah. and I was excited to follow and then we just completely move away from them. We completely pan left into utter confusion, at least for me. Yeah, this this whole arc has been very weird because we're following point of view of like 14 characters or something ridiculous like that uh, over the course of the entire arc, and it's just it's getting a little confusing. So my number six was Dr. Stone. I did still really like the chapter, but we had that sudden turn, and it was just very weird, so it, that kind of just dropped it down my enjoyment level a little bit so i still did like it but that that sudden turn of oh we're, we're suddenly doing this now kind of put it at the bottom for me my number six is black clover i pretty much made my feelings on it known i yep. want to like it more than i do i'm like even if i wasn't doing this podcast i would keep reading it like waiting for it to hook me but it just really feels like it's not going to be able to Yep. Well, and maybe if we read the the first volume or the first couple of volumes and maybe you'll decide to jump in and fill in the backstory and get a bit more or maybe it won't and it's just not something to your taste who knows yeah all right so my number five was food wars i did really like this chapter but it was just it was kind of set up so not a whole lot happened so that's kind of why it, it moved down on my my rankings list yeah there's not really much more to say about it my number five is the promised neverland again i pretty much talked about why when we talked about it here's kind of the line for me where everything above this i did like Yep. Uh, including this, The Promised Neverland, I did enjoy. But I just felt like it didn't really play to the artist's strengths. A lot of the action was a little bit muddled in ways it hasn't been before. And I feel like 
following Hugo and Lucas is almost the less interesting choice, just because like otherwise we'd be wondering what happened to them. And yeah. this like doesn't create much mystery, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, I can understand that. So my number four was We Never Learn. I thought this was a pretty cute chapter. Unlike you said, the last one was the line of like, I really like these. I actually really liked all these chapters, but We Never Learn was, uh, it was kind of cute, but it just, it didn't hook me like some of the other ones up at the top of the list. So it goes at my number four. My number four is also We Never Learn. Hey, we agree on something. Yay. It's not, it's not even the first thing this podcast. No. So for me, My Hero Academia goes in between my number three and my number four. It's a really fun chapter, but there wasn't a huge reveal. There was just some cool stuff going on. So I'm I still looking forward to read it. It still technically made my top four, but it wasn't, to me, the best chapter in the, the book. So my number three was The Promised Neverland. I liked the following of... Hugo and Lucas and kind of getting to know, all right, so we at least like I understand your trepidation about it not being ambiguous anymore, like we kind of lost a bit of the mystery, but I thought it was cool to see them splinter cell the human response team, I guess is what I'd call them. So my number three is Dr. Stone. The turn in it is really, really weird, so I understand why you put it lower, but I'm very intrigued by it. This is one that, like, if where it goes isn't interesting, this could, like, retroactively be worse later on. But in the moment right now, it has my curiosity, so that's why I ranked it this high. Yeah, I kind of, the the turn I got off it was that we're going to have this, like, sudden turn right at the end, and we're just going to have, like, a couple more chapters, and then it's going to be done. Yeah, this could just be the happy ending, and yeah. that would be kind of lame. Yeah, so that, that was the feeling I got, was this was the turn to the happy ending. And, and that does make the climax, kind of. Like, the climax in that case it ends up being the end of the last chapter where he yeah. got dynamite. Where Yeah, where he got the dynamite. My number two was comic... I think it's... I'm reading it as comic Q. Okay. It is got, with a Q. It is with a Q, but it's comic Q. Like, the C is also there, so it's not like they replaced it. And I was kind of getting the, the comic Q is like a questioning kind of... That that was the feeling I was getting. I don't know if that's the case. I read it as like an artsy way of saying the comic, but... It, it's totally possible, because I only read the title. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. But the mystery seemed really cool. The premise of the mute guy who has to speak through his art is kind of interesting, so I was definitely... I was excited to see where this goes. My number two is Food Wars, because the art is still fantastic, even in this filler chapter. I love every one of the Chef Noir designs. Yeah, they, they're definitely really cool. And, like, just all the art off of Saiba, of him just, like, walking around, like, looking like a Dragon Ball Z character, is great. Yep. So my number one was Black Clover. I thought this was a big, big reveal for Noelle after them showing her new spell at the end, and the fact that... Her brother is now seeing her as like her mother, so she's kind of redeemed herself in his eyes, which was just really cool for me. Um, my number one is the comic. I'm really excited to see where it goes. So yeah, I'd like the mystery setup was effective, and I think it's easy to do well in a first chapter at Shonen Jump when you get extra space. But yeah, he pulled it off. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was my number two. I definitely, I really liked it. Okay, so. We don't have a lot of time, so shall we just take a little break? And when we come back, we will talk about Taito Kubo's Bleach. Sure.
And we're back to talk about Taito Kubo's Bleach, Volume 1. Yep. I think this is the first series where, Kevin, you have more familiarity with it than I do, because you've read all of Bleach, right? Yes, I have read all of Bleach. It's been a while, because it finished a couple of years ago, so it's definitely been a while since I've read the first chapter. It's not like I started right when they started publishing, but it's been a while since I've read this, but I have read everything. All right. Whereas I'm not a stranger to Bleach, but I've never read a panel of the manga before recording this podcast. Yep. It's one of the first anime I remember kind of discovering on my own and trying to get my friends into rather than the other way around. Yeah. But I dropped off pretty early on in the Arancar arc because the anime got really fillery and I didn't want to wait around for it. Oh and boy. I never got back on that train. Yeah. The, the anime lost me when... During the climax of the Arankar arc... I didn't even get that far, yep. but... During the, the climax, they have an entire filler season. Like, literally, you know, they're they're battling with the heads. It's like, ah, oh, we're getting to the climax. It's like the final fights of everybody. And I was like, oh, but we're going to go back and talk about something that never happened in the, the manga. We're like, oh, we're going to talk about that thing that happened in the past. And have an entire... The entire season is this filler arc. And it's like... I, are, are you kidding me? There's an entire filler season that I they just lost me there. Someone did the math on how many days you'd be watching filler if you watched all of Naruto, and it was depressing. Yeah. But yeah, Bleach lost me really with the like rehashing of the capture the girl plot. But yeah. I stuck on a little longer. That's that's honestly a problem with Bleach. I've listened to some people talking about this and kind of the main problem with bleach is so its main character is ichigo kurosaki and he doesn't really have a goal like he doesn't have this big overarching driving goal of i want to be the pirate king or the wizard king or hokage or you know as as silly as those sound they're a goal to head towards it's like i'm going to save the girl okay and then I, i need to save the girl again so there's really nothing going on here. Like, I'm not trying to get stronger so that I can protect the girl. It's like, I need to get stronger to save the girl. And then she has to get kidnapped again in order for me to have a goal in life. Yeah, I feel like Kubo is just not very good at writing characters. A lot of what I'm going to say is only really noticeable, I think, with hindsight and knowing where Bleach ends up failing. And I should say, I really, really enjoyed reading volume one of Bleach. Because I'm going to find it real hard to compliment, I think, just the way my mind works. Yeah. But I feel like early on, he's not good at writing characters, but he's really good at disguising that. Like, Ichigo doesn't have much personality, but he disguises that by surrounding him with relationships. He has two little sisters that he has different interactions with. He has his dad, who's a very colorful character. He has Orihime and what's... Chad. Uh, Chad. I was thinking of uh, Orihime and his mutual friend. Tatsaki. Oh, her. Yeah. I yeah, I and, see what you yep. And in addition to Chad, there's like a whole circle up there he eats yep. lunch with. And obviously Rukia, who is this new force in his life. Yep. But like while Rukia has a lot of personality, we don't really get to see their relationship develop. Like he's very good at, like I said, hiding Ichigo's lack of character by giving him a lot of people to bounce off of. Yeah. But he's not so good as showing a new relationship developing. Yeah. Because it, it kind of just suddenly happens. And while I did kind of enjoy reading this first volume, that's one of the problems that I've had with it is 
stuff just kind of it almost like happens in the background and it's like i this is the first volume this is where you show the you know you don't montage away your your character development when this is the first time meeting the character that just seems kind of weird so something we should say before we get into more criticism is the art in this is amazing yeah it's this is a like the most backhanded way I can compliment Bleach, and I don't like doing it because I really genuinely do like the art, but it's so good it all bleeds together. Like it's so good you stop noticing how good it is. Like yeah. there's so much shading on it, there's so much detail on all of it. Yep. That again, it's it just fades and that like nothing pops. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there, where they're, you know, even during like major fight scenes, it's if everything looks the same all the time, you just kind of expect it. So because the art is so good all the time, there isn't uh, like a lot of different manga will have. Oh, the battle scenes look really good compared to the rest of the stuff or, oh, this thing became hyper detailed so that it pops out versus this, like you said, just kind of all blends together. But That's, it all looks really good. It's, it does. It makes it read really quickly. Yep. It also helps that this was a fairly short volume. I think this was shorter than the other two. Definitely by chapter, but I think by page as well. So that I believe that's true. Another real interesting thing about this is how similar it is to volume one of One Piece. Before I get into that, the reason we chose Bleach, I originally wanted to choose Naruto, but then I got sort of enamored with the idea of doing a shonen series from a different decade with each one. Yep. Doing Dragon Ball from the 80s. One Piece from the 90s, Bleach from the aughts, and what we're going to do next week from the, do we have a name for this? The twe- the teens? Yeah. I, Whatever I decade know. this is now. And I chose Bleach because it seemed like the biggest thing to come out then, but it's really more contemporary with Naruto and One Piece. Like, it's barely into the aughts, and I think it was a mistake to choose in that regard, because it's yeah. very clearly made by the same editorial team, I feel. All three start with a, like, triple size opening that's basically an origin story yep then they go into a single story that's like kind of detached from everything else a single chapter story yeah both bleach and one piece kind of use it to set the status quo yeah uh, then they go into their first major arc and naruto is a little different because that arc runs on longer yeah but and that's the bell like test that kakashi does yep but both One Piece and Bleach wrap theirs up quickly enough that the last chapter of the volume can be the start of the next story to try to hook you in. Yep. Which just feels like a real editorial structuring once you put all three together. Yeah. Which I don't think is a bad thing. It's just reading these two back to back, I noticed it right away. Yeah. And these are the three major manga that, like, through the 2000s were the thing driving Shonen Jump. Yeah, but like you said, there was a decade in between the printing of them, so... Not even that long. There's four years between yeah. One Piece and Bleach. Less, and Naruto's midway between that. So it's the same editorial team. It's barely a decade. So maybe something later in the decade would have been a better choice for like my experimental purposes. Yeah, but I mean, we're also leading with these are some of the biggest shonen series out there. Yeah, and I can't think of anything in the aughts that was bigger that launched them. Like, One Piece and Naruto were bigger, but they launched in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of anything either that was bigger. When did Fairy Tail launch? I don't know. I think it's, like, 2011. Yeah. But it, it might be, like, 2009, and maybe that would have been a better choice. Possibly. I, it also might have the exact same structure. Yeah, I'd be interested to see, because the 
editorial staff at Shonen Jump has only changed recently. Yeah. So it very well might. But it was something I found very interesting. So if you don't know, Bleach is the story of Ichigo Kurosaki. He's a blonde haired Japanese. Orange haired. Okay, yes, but it's natural. They, yeah, but they, they specifically point out orange and they have to mention it because he is constantly ridiculed for having non black hair in Japan. Yeah, which is a thing that's always hard to translate. As an older guy, I understand it, like being able to study the cultural context of that. Yep. Like if you bleach your hair, you're a delinquent and no one there is really a natural blonde. Yep. So it's just assumed. But that's always something that's been like hard for me to find. And it's kind of the only way in which Ichigo is a delinquent and he doesn't even, as we find out later, dye his hair. It's natural. Yeah. So it's kind of becomes this weird assumed character trait. I came to Bleach right after Yu Yu Hakusho, and so the parallels between the two were, like, really stood out to me. Yeah. But Ichigo isn't as much Yusuke as you kind of think he is if you watch those back-to-back, because he doesn't have the same level of delinquency. He's much more obviously a decent guy. Yeah. But similar to, I guess, Yu Yu Hakusho, he has the power to see ghosts, and he helps them out. Yep. So we immediately learn he's a good guy, but he's not good at interacting with others. Well, yeah, because they they tend to shun him for for his hair because he's different and that that's a big japanese thing in and of itself that outsiders are not readily welcome into their society but the kind of place where that breaks down is we find out he has a really wide like social circle and they're not all delinquents like he has this friend who's appears to be normal and healthy he's got this girl with a huge crush on him who also has weird hair but we'll get to that later yeah that's a weird anime problem of i was not going to get into but also get that blue hair is fine red hair is fine pink hair is fine blonde hair you're a punk again he's uh, it's orange hair well yes but yeah so she has she does have a different hair color but because she's a girl with big boobs uh she gets away with it but anyway, his life is flipped, turned upside down when a girl shows up in his house wearing a katana. Yep. And kind of like a black gi. Yeah, I think that's the proper term, but I'm not sure. But I think it's it's not exactly what I think of when I think of a gi, but it it's a very martial looking outfit. He's the only one who can see her. And she says she's a soul reaper and she's come to hunt a hollow, which is like an evil ghost. Yep. Uh, she binds Ichigo. I don't even remember why. She uses a spell to paralyze him, basically, so he can't interfere. Yeah. I think she mentions that it's like coming, it's got to be around here somewhere. And he's like, I need to go protect my family then. And she's like, no, you'll just get hurt. So she binds him. Yes. Ruki is an interesting character because she's all business, but also she has a sense of humor to her or when it's injected in her. Yeah, I said not much stands out. There's this one panel where she like flips a table at Ichigo and has written on it for use in sight gags only. Yep. Which really stood out to me. And she tries to explain things to him like with these crude bunny drawings. Yeah, which is a a big running theme that she's got like a very childish drawing technique. So like at one point she's like she's shooting balls that are labeled hands and head and they both look almost identical. So he's like, I can't tell your drawings apart. So because he's supposed to be aiming for only the heads. She's very bad at drawing and the table for sight gag only. I think one of the really funny things about that is I don't think there's actually a table in his room. So like literally she flips the table for the sight gag and then it's never there again. Like because he, he, he's got a bed and like a desk. That's all he's got in his room. He doesn't have a, a coffee table that she flips. 
She goes to fight the Hollow, but Ichigo is all protagonisty and manages to defeat her paralyzing spell and gets in the way. And she has to kind of jump in the way to save him and ends up getting too hurt to fight. Yep. She says he might be able to save his family if he takes some of her power. Yep. But he accidentally takes all of it again because he's so protagonisty. It all just drains into him. Yep. And he becomes a Soul Reaper and manages to defeat the Hollow. Yep. With his ridiculously huge Zampacto. What does that translate to? I know. But... Spirit sword, I want to say, or oh, something, yeah, something like soul sword that. or something like that. Yeah. Here, here's one of those things where you can tell Taito Okubo was flying by the seat of his pants because those will become real important later. But right now, his is just big because he's protagonist. Yep. And she's like, oh, I've never seen one that big. I guess she was blind when she was in Soul Society. Yep. Because Renji's, Renji's pretty big. Yeah, Renji's is pretty big. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of stuff where it's like, clearly he did not have everything thought out at the beginning of this. So anyway, the second chapter, again, is basically there to establish the status quo. Rukia gives his family amnesia, which is kind of a lame trope that this series engages in. But I'll talk about it more at the end of the volume. Yep. Oh, his family did get hurt during the attack as well. Like, his dad got injured. His sister, at least one of his sisters got injured. I can't remember if both of them did. But that was also one of the things that throws Ichigo for a loop is he wakes up and they're all fine. He was like, well, what about your injuries? And his dad's like, what, what injuries? I'm, I'm totally fine. So she's like, hey, you have to help me out hunting hollows because you took all my powers. Also, I transferred into your school because that's the appropriate trope here. Yep. But he refuses because you have to refuse the call. Yes. Until she like she has these gloves that allows her to hit him so hard his soul comes out of his body. I think it's the gloves allow her to just directly interact with things from Soul Society. So she's just able to push his soul out of his body with the gloves. There's a lot of very weird soul tools that just don't get explained well at all. I mean, not that they really need to be. No. This does what it does. It gives Ichigo his powers. Yeah. And let's her like force him to go on there are some pretty good gags with his body just like laying there unconscious so yeah yeah that was definitely the the great gag when he's at school and somebody's like oh my god ichigo's unconscious ichigo learns a valuable lesson about how he has to protect ghosts and the status quo is set yeah although so this was one of the things of there's a lot of withheld information like almost like he was writing the story a chapter at a time Oh, he definitely was. I have yeah. no doubt about that. Because at first it's like, all right, so you've got to stab the good ghosts and that will send them to Soul Society. But that's not explained the first time. She just stabs one of the ghosts and it's like, ah, no, I just that's part of my job. I just stab ghosts. And so it's like, oh, well, that sends them to Soul Society. And then there's the hollows and it's, oh, well, I don't want to kill the hollows. Oh, well, you're not actually, you know, in, in a later chapter. Oh, well, you're not actually killing them. You're just cleansing them so that they can go to soul society like why why wouldn't you lead with that he was all worried about having to kill hollows you could have just led with oh i'm not killing them i'm just cleansing them yeah she has to dramatically reveal it later though it's better for the pacing of the story so after that like i said at the start we launch into a four chapter arc that's mostly just a big fight scene but there is a little setup at the beginning Uh, orihime who is a girl with a crush on ishigo that's introduced in the second chapter turns out she has a dead brother backstory and she is being stalked by the hollow ghost of her dead brother yep meanwhile rookie is trying to train ichigo to attack them from behind in the head but Ichigo's like nah i gotta fight him like a man yep 
And then it's revealed that the reason you want to attack them from behind is so that you don't see their human features, because all hollows used to once be human. They were ghosts that lost something. That's why they are hollow. They lost part of their heart, something about them. And so they're trying to fill the hole in their soul. So that's why you want to attack them from behind, and the head is the weak spot. Like, if you hit them in the head, they will die. Surprise, surprise. So again, talking about sight gags, Rukia is, like, hiding in Ichigo's closet and living there, and she's, like, flirtily teasing him about wanting to know what she does in her personal time and yep. where she's living, but she's just in his closet, which is very well revealed. Well, yeah, wearing also, his sister's pajamas, because... They are not the same size at all, right? no. <laughs> if you look at them, but it is, again, a good joke where his sister's like, what did you do with my pajamas? He's like, why would I take your pajamas? Yeah. Well, she, at first she's like... Where's my dress? What did you do with my pajamas? He's like, why would I take your clothes? And then a couple of panels later, he hears like this beeping noise. He's like, what is is one of the girls doing something? And Rukia pops out of his closet. We got to go. There's an alert, which, which was great because he's just like, what? You, you've been here the whole time. So it's a pretty basic story. Orihime's brother is sad that she doesn't think of him anymore. Yep, but she does. She just didn't want to say it out loud because. She thought he would rather hear happy things, like how she has a huge crush on Ichigo. Yep. Yeah, so it was initially she used to talk to him all the time, but then she started talking to him about Ichigo because he helped her out when her brother died. So that's really why she has a crush on him, is he helped her out in that moment of weakness. Yeah. So, like I said, mostly it's a fight, but there is a lot of emotional stuff between Orahime and her brother, and her brother's kind of like, being corrupted and trying to yep. sort of express his feelings, but clearly he's not in his right mind anymore. And yeah. like we said earlier, Rukia reveals, oh, no, you don't really kill them. You just send them to heaven. It's fine. Yep. This is an oddly optimistic story about evil ghosts. Yeah. So Ichigo, after a fight with him, manages to take him out. Well, he manages to redeem himself a little bit and allows That's true. Ichigo after, to take Or he it, may convinces him to... His features become much more human, and he's like, all right, do it. And that's when Rukia reveals, oh, well, you're just cleansing his soul. And it's like, you literally could have led with this. Like, he doesn't want to kill them because they were once human. And it's like, well, you're not killing them. You're you're cleansing them. Although, later on in Bleach, they explain there's this weird, like, cycle of energy thing <laughs> going on. Yeah, there's... The Waco Mundo. Yeah. There, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in Bleach where, oh yeah, there's also this thing going on. Like, yeah, sure, why not? Why, why not lead with this stuff? You know, at least One Piece hints at things beforehand, as opposed to just immediately slapping you in the face with a, I needed a plot twist, so bam, here you go. Yeah, and we move through it pretty quickly, but the story yeah. reads really quickly, and it's really reliant on the art, which is really dark and, um, like, mean, by which I mean heavy pencil and a lot of shading and ink, not, yep. like, gory. Well, but... and also, like, the Soul Reaper uniform is all black. A lot of the hollows have a ton of black about them. So, like you said, very, very, very dark in its coloring. Yeah, and it really relies on the contrast between like the light subject matter and the darkness, and it does work well. Yep. The art, like I said, is really good. It just starts to blend, not even blend together, because each panel is really cool. But like I said, none of it really pops. Yeah. And because the brother lets Ichigo kind of finish him off, there's not a real climax to it either. Yeah. Which is, again, me being backhanded when I really actually did like this story. Well, it got I guess... got me really excited to go through it. Yeah, I guess... 
it's more of an emotional climax, so it's not a battle climax. It's yes. Or he may finally manages to convince her brother of like, I can't keep focusing on you because I'll be stuck in the past. I need to move on. You need to move on as well. And that's why he lets Ichigo kill him. So it's more of an emotional beat rather than a battle beat of Ichigo becoming strong enough to beat her brother. And then Rukia gives Arahime drugs so she forgets about all of it. Yeah. So that's by far my least favorite part about all this. I'm a big superhero fan. But the secret identity trope is played out, and it's always more interesting when characters get to find that out and have to deal with it. Yep. And also, it doesn't actually undo Orohime's character development, but it makes it feel like almost like this didn't matter and gives a real episodic feel. Yeah. Well, and also, the amnesia pills that she gives them replaces the memories with random memories. So his family thought that a truck had driven through their wall and Orihime was like, yeah, a Yakuza boss showed up and started having a fight with a ninja or something like that. Everyone's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And it just like it, it just makes it, it's by far my least favorite part about Bleach. And eventually Orihime will get to remember this and be an important character. But yep. it just gives, like I said, this episodic feel that is a real downer to me because it makes it feel like the next bit isn't gonna matter either yeah and we end on a chapter that sets up the next story which involves chado yep who is one of ichigo's classmates and friends he's a quiet guy who's like always standing up for other people he's also gigantic and tough as steel as evidenced when a girder falls on him and it bends around his back and he just bleeds a little bit as opposed to you know like dying like any other normal person would so he takes possession of this cursed parakeet that keeps killing its owners because he survives this steel beam falling on it yep. and him. But the parakeet might be a ghost. It's a little ambiguous. Yep. And that's how the chapter ends, which is a decent cliffhanger. And it does make me want to read Bleach Volume 2, but not nearly as much as I wanted to read One Piece Volume 2. Yeah, there was the weird thing with, like, Rukia thought that the parakeet... At first well, they well, thought, like, oh, like, no, it was a hollow because it's been killing its owners, yeah. like that sounds like an evil ghost. And she's like, nah, that doesn't seem like an evil ghost at all. And then the next couple of panels, Ichigo's yeah. dad is a we doctor. We didn't talk about that, but yes, his yeah. dad is a doctor. His sisters are nurses. Even yeah. though they're little sisters, it's fine. Yeah, and Ichigo is completely useless, so they're like, literally just go sit in a corner, and he does that, which is <laughs> hilarious. But he notices Chad in his dad's family clinic, and it's like, oh no, there's been this huge accident. It was like, oh, it must have been the parakeet. So, I mean, that's the thing of like, well, didn't you just say that it was harmless like how how is it suddenly evil which i guess is what you're supposed to be curious about yeah and what's supposed to drive you to pick up the next chapter and to be fair it kind of worked i don't really care about chad like in this chapter or in general yeah i did like the story but again like the amnesia pills take a lot of the stakes out of it for me because it just feels like they'll always reset to a status quo which isn't the case in bleach but even early on, it feels episodic, and it just feels like the episodes get longer. And that's true in One Piece as well. Like I talked about last week, it's got a formula that it sticks to. Yep. But One Piece always feels like it's marching forward and taking stuff from its past. To yeah, yeah, stuff advances. What's going on. Yeah, and Bleach at its start feels like a Monster of the Week thing of like, all right, now I'm going to fight the next evil ghost. Huzzah! And then he fights the ghost, and then amnesia pills for everyone, and we're back to normal. And now it's time to fight the next ghost. Yeah, but I again, I'm being harsher on it than I mean to be. I did enjoy reading Volume 1 of Bleach. The art, like I said, is amazing. Um, yep. 
And you can see very easily why Taito Kubo got this job. I mean, he'd already done a shorter series in Zombie Powder, which I've never read. Neither have I. But it looks very Bleach-like. <laughs> okay. All right. Is there anything else you want to say about this volume of Bleach? It's pretty good, but... It is I, pretty good. It's hard to recommend, and so much of that is because it doesn't go anywhere, right? Not yeah. even just this volume, but Bleach as a whole. The Soul Society arc, which comes later, is genuinely one of the best arcs in Shonen anime. Yeah, it's there's some really good stuff in Bleach, and then stuff just starts getting weird, so there'll be like random bits of like, this is really cool, but then... Oh, you're just like it like I said, he kinda like just slaps you with plot twists out of nowhere, as opposed to there's no foreshadowing. It's almost like, you know, oh, I need something to happen this. And it's been this way all along. So I don't know how far you got into the anime, but do you know the past of Ichigo's dad? I do. I think from reading Wikipedia rather than Yeah. Uh, so that was one of the confusing things of going back to this and being like, so Clearly, that wasn't a thing when he was writing these first chapters, unlike some of the stuff that happened in One Piece, where you could see he's got ideas and had ideas about these characters since the beginning. Maybe they weren't fully fleshed out, but he at least had ideas. Some of the big character reveals in Bleach felt like there was something that he just completely did afterwards and hoped you just didn't remember the stuff in some of the earlier chapters, I and, guess. And like I said, I don't feel like he's very good at character. Rukia has a nice like dichotomy to her between her like silliness and also her seriousness. Yep. And Orihime has this real wackiness to her. But I feel like he's covering up for a lot of weaknesses by just making giant webs of characters with lots of relationships. He yeah. does the same thing in the Soul Society arc when you've got like 13 captains and 13 vice captains. and Yeah, and then there's a couple of other people that are important in the structure. And then there's even more characters outside of that that you're introduced to. So, yeah, it's... And like you're given so much information that they feel fleshed out, but... When you start breaking them down, you realize they're not... Like, oh, there's this character. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Well, wait, she's got like one character aspect and a hidden backstory that he just never flushes out ever. I was thinking of specifically of uh, Yorichi. Yeah. There's like some cool, you know, oh, there's some cool stuff going on here. Uh, it's never explained, though. Lesbians, maybe? Maybe. <laughs> Lesbians, maybe. <laughs> The whole reason why she's the black cat of the family never talked about at all, to my knowledge. Like, it's never brought up of, like, why she's an outcast. But we're getting off focus. Yeah. So that is actually a pretty good lead-in to our last segment, personality power level. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? So personality power level is the segment where we rank characters from manga from best to worst. This isn't a who would win in a fight ranking. No. It's a ranking of like how excited we are to see the character. Like if they were, if this was American comics and crossovers were a thing, how excited would we see, be to see them pop up at the end of a chapter? Yep. Be like, oh man, Goku's in this chapter. That would never happen. But no, and it's like how well they work, how good they are for like filler stories, that sort of thing. Actually, there has been a couple of Japanese crossovers. I mean, there, there's not zero, but they don't work like American comics. No, but there is just show up. There is one in Toriko, I believe, where both Luffy and Goku show up to fight with Toriko in a tournament. Yeah, and there's also a One Piece Dragon Ball crossover, and there's been some other stuff from that. The last page of Naruto references One Piece. Yep. 
All right, so we are going to put Ichigo Kurosaki, the main character of Bleach, on the list. Uh, currently, the top of the list is Monkey D. Luffy yep. uh, from One Piece. The bottom of the list is Son Goku from Dragon Ball, and that's the entirety of the list. Yep. Well, Nothing we're still early. Here. Yes, yes. So where do you think Ichigo goes? I've kind of been hinting at it this entire time, but I actually don't think Ichigo is much of a character. I don't either. Like I said, he doesn't have a goal, like, and that's part of the problem. Even later on in the series, it's, oh, they keep hinting at all this cool backstory stuff. But like you said, most of his cool backstory stuff is interactions with other characters and not yeah, himself. Like, what's his personality? Like, it's just kind of generically masculine, right? Yeah. He does. He wants to appear like a tough guy, but he's nice inside. And that's better than nothing. It I is, don't think it he's going to be the bottom for too long, but he doesn't have like Goku's drive to fight or curiosity or any of the depth that Luffy has. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely uh, agree with, even though you haven't said it, that uh, he's below the other two. Uh, there's really, there's not much to him. Okay. So Ichigo Kurosaki will go at number three below Son Goku, the bottom of the list. Yep. All right. So that about does it for this episode. Next week, we're going to be reading, like I hinted at, something more modern, something like One Piece that's currently running in Shonen Jump, something that I'm very excited to read because the anime is amazing and I haven't read a single bit of the manga yet, Yep, which is Kohei Horikoshi's My Hero Academia, Volume 1. That's again, a good one. I'm very excited. It'll have all my great. Yep. But until then, you can find us at our website, www.lastpodcast.com. By the time this episode is up, we should have an email, but I'm not sure if we will yet or not. So if you want to talk to us, the best way is to leave a comment there. Uh, suggest manga for us to read. Tell us if you, what your opinions on Bleach are. Should we talk more about series as a whole when we know about them or focus more on the individual volumes? Also, the list will be going up there eventually when I figure out how to do that. You can also hear my other podcast, Last Time on Video Games, where I talk about old video games. Kevin's on this week's episode. It's on System Shock. Yeah. Uh, if you like System Shock, probably don't listen to that episode. There is apparently an entire forum about not liking this episode. I mean, it's like three posts. So Yeah, but still, it, they, they made a new an entire new forum post about it. True. So. Also, my podcast, It's a Gundam, where we watch every episode of Gundam Seed. That one's pretty good. Our opening theme is Fighting Against One's Will by Mid-Air Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fist Fight by Tom W. Emmert. Other music, F Up Jump is by Spectacular Sound Productions. Our art for the episode and all our episodes for the entire podcast is by Kate Wynn. You can check her out on DeviantArt, and she's very good at drawing. Yeah. So I suggest you do. Anything you want to plug, Kevin? Not this week. All right. See you guys next week. School is in session.
I don't know why, but Pepperidge Farms jumped into my head. 